Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Have you ever had something uh, that was coming up that you knew like, hey, this is about to happen and you're a little bit concerned about it? Maybe a little bit of stress in your life, a little bit of worry. Um, has that ever affected anybody here? Anybody? Um, yeah. Uh, I know maybe like three of you that are just like so stone cold that you're like, what, what is that? What is, what is worry? What, what is stress? Um, but no, most of us that are, that are normal, um, we worry about things. We, we stress out about things, right? Um, and what we see in today's passage is a moment where Jacob is worried. Jacob is stressed out. He is, is scared. Um, he doesn't know what's about to happen. And so as, as we walk through the story today, I want us to keep that in mind and like maybe apply some of what the truth that we see here in this passage uh, to ourselves when we're in those moments of stress or worry or whatever, okay? So it starts off in, uh, in chapter 32, Genesis 32 is where we are today. In verses one and two, it says this. So we're, he's just leaving Laban. They've just finished that whole, whole situation. And, and Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. All right. Now, it's kind of funny to me because if, if we're just reading this passage, honestly, we probably would just kind of read this verse kind of quickly and keep going. Um, but I wanted us to stop and just see what it says happened here before we get into everything else that's about to happen. Because so many times in this passage, like I've heard about what's about to happen, but I've never really focused in on, on what happens before it happens. Okay. And that's an important point because before Jacob's about to go into this moment where he's so stressed out, he's so worried and everything, right before that, angels come to him. Right before that, angels show up and he says, this is God's camp. So right before what we're about to get into where he's all stressed out and worried, he's reminded by God, I am with you. Look, here, here are my messengers, here are my angels, here, here are my workers, they're, they're around you. I'm even letting you see them, like they're here. Remember back when I made all the promises to you back at Bethel where, where you saw them coming up and down the ladder, coming back and forth between me and you? You remember all of that? That, that still applies. My promises are still good. I'm still with you. I'm still protecting you. Now, we know a biblical view of angels isn't like the little fat cherubs that are like, or whatever, right? <laughs> like a biblical view of angels, or these are warriors. Every time we see them show up, especially in the New Testament, what do they say? Don't be afraid. That's the first thing they say. Why? Because they're scary. <laughs> and so, right before Jacob's about to go into this moment, 
that he's so scared of, he's so afraid of, he's reminded by God, I am with you. I am here. And I want to encourage us with the fact that God knows when his people are going to go through tough times and he's with them through it. All right? And so maybe, maybe you're going through a tough time and I just want to encourage you that, hey, God is there with you through it. Look for those reminders that he gives you along the way. That yeah, he's not just taking away all of the struggle. He's not just taking away everything that's scary or everything that's bad, but he's there with you through it. All right? And so I just wanted us to take a minute to kind of pause on those first verses here because I think that's a very important point as we go into the rest of this now. But let's keep going. Verse 3. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent uh, to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And so uh, it goes on. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Now, I don't know about you. But if I'm Jacob in this situation, I remember why I left Esau. Why did he leave Esau 20 years ago? Because Esau wanted to kill him, right? So now God's told him to go back and he's like, well, I'm going to do some little prep work. I'll, I'll send some messengers to tell him, hey, your brother's coming home. Uh, by the way, he's got all this stuff now, so he doesn't need your stuff. He's not going to be trying to take anything from you um, like he was before. Uh, you know, like everything's cool now, right, bro? And then he gets the word back, hey, your brother's coming with 400 men. I don't know about you, but if I'm Jacob in that situation, I'm not thinking this is a welcome party. This sounds more like a military party. This sounds scary. Dude wanted to kill me. Now he has a whole gang. They're all coming. And I'm here with women and children and goats. I mean, goats can buck, buck people really hard, but they're not very good warriors. And so Jacob's in this moment, and he starts to get scared. Verse 7, And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So he's not even thinking, hey, there's any chance I can fight my brother off here. This is, this is Jacob the fighter, right? Like he's always been the scrapper, the wrestler, like coming out of the womb. The, all, all along he's been the, the fighter, but now at this point he's, he's hopeless. He's at the end of what he thinks he can do from his own reserves. And his only hope is like, well, I'm just going to split my family up. And maybe if one of them get ta- gets attacked, the other one can run faster. Like that's where he's at. He's like, this is, this is my hope at this point. And it goes on. And Jacob said, oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, 
O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me and the mothers and the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And so Jacob does what many of us do when we hit that point of we're at the end of ourself. We have no hope for the situation based on what we can do ourselves. And he gets to that point and he says, hey, here's the only thing left I can do. So I can pray. Sadly, it takes us a lot of times getting to that point before we go to prayer, which is something we probably should do first. But in that moment, he's kind of hit rock bottom. He's kind of hit his, his low point and he's like, God, I, I'm just going to bring this to you now. I want to pray to you. I want to lift this up before you. And where, where does he start? He starts with God's promises. He remembers God's promises. And he's looking at his situation and he's saying, hey, God, God you've promised me that, that you're going to make my offspring like the sand of the sea. That's going to be kind of hard if we're all dead because my brother kills me, right? And so he's, he's at this point and he's, he's hitting kind of rock bottom and he goes before the Lord, he remembers God's promises, and then he simply asks God to protect him, to help him, to meet the, the needs of the situation that he finds himself in. And I want to encourage us with this. When stressed out, I want to encourage you to remember God's promises and present your request before him. Now, I know some of you right now are saying, Wayne, that's too easy. Okay, we'll try it. All right, give it a shot. But remember God's promises. Where do we find his promises? In his word. When you're stressed, when you're worried, when you're anxious, I encourage you go to his word and then talk to him about it. Take your situation to him and talk to him about it. Tell him, God, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm worried about. Here's what I'm stressed about. I just want to give this to you and I want to ask you to take care of it. I want to ask you to intercede here. So Jacob does that, and, and then, then he, he takes another step um, in trying to uh, win back over his brother, all right? And so, so here's what we see next. So he's, he's gone to the Lord, he's prayed, good start, great. Verse 13, so he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants 
every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. And he instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, uh, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob, and they are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face and perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him and he himself stayed that night in the camp. And so Jacob has, has this plan and he says, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to buy my brother's favor, right? Try to buy him off. And basically, like, if, if you know flocks and animals, he basically sends him a starter kit um, for having your own farm, right? Like this, if, if done properly with the amount of animals that are sent, this is, this is a, an amount of animals that could change your life. Like this, this could take care of you for the rest of your life, right? What's kind of ironic and funny, if we remember earlier in the story, um, what did Jacob like and what did Esau like? Jacob liked farm animals and Esau liked hunting. So he's sending the hunter a bunch of farm animals, which is just kind of funny to me. Um, but anyway, so he's sending all of this out ahead of and he was like, hey, maybe, maybe I can, can buy off my brother here. And uh, it shows, too, in Jacob, a sign of repentance as well. What do I mean by that? I mean this. When Jacob left Esau, he was still in the place where he was trying to con and, and get everything he could for himself, right? The, the, the conflict between he and Esau goes back uh, to Jacob, one, stealing his birthright for a bowl of soup. And then tricking their dad into giving him the blessing instead of Esau. And it all goes back to Jacob doing all of this stuff to get, get, get for himself, right? And so now at this moment where Jacob's going back, he's showing, hey, I'm not the same Jacob anymore. I'm not coming back to try to take from you, brother. I'm not coming back trying to, to get stuff out of you. In fact, here, I've got plenty. I want to give. I want to give to you. Here's, here's a gift, and that's what happens when we, we have an encounter with God in our life and he changes us is we, we no longer look at things the same way. And that's what, when we talk about repentance in the Bible, that's what we're talking about. As we're changed, we don't want to keep living that same way anymore. We're, we want to change. We want to live in the way that God would have us to live. That includes how we treat our stuff, how we look at our stuff, how we look at, at what's ours or somebody else's, how we look at being givers instead of takers. So Jacob here is showing that, yes, he has changed. There is a difference that has happened in him. And it goes on, in the same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. And so here we see Jacob 
He's kind of back where he started. When he came across the river, when he was going to Laban, what does he have? He has only his staff. He just said that in his prayer. That's all he had with him. And now here as he's going back, he has this moment where he's, he's tried to do what he could to keep everybody safe, but he's left by himself. And he's back in a moment of desperation, of uncertainty, of uncertainty about what's going to happen. And he's left alone. And then this happens. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. All right? And so Jacob has this incredible encounter here where he's left alone and then all of a sudden there's this man and they start wrestling and they wrestle all through the night and they're in this 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 place and the the day is breaking and Jacob's just holding on he's just holding on to him saying I'm not going to let you go until you bless me and so the man then it, it becomes clear that this man is some kind of theophany is some kind of God himself. Some think that, oh, this was an angel that God sent that's representing God here. Others think that this is probably uh, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate. What that means, there's a lot of theological words. What that means is Jesus before he came to earth, before he came and took on flesh as man, before he came and lived a life, um, a sinless life as man, before he came and died on a cross, before he came and rose again. Before all of that happened, we see Jesus showing up throughout the Old Testament at different times in different ways. And so many think that this is, in fact, Jesus here in this story, where Jesus has come and he's, he's wrestled with Jacob. And Jacob is in this place and he knows that he's wrestling with something amazing, somebody amazing. He doesn't know what. But you know what? While he's in that midst of this situation, you know what we don't see him talking about anymore? Esau. He's in this place where he, he came to this place. He came to the place where he was at his rock bottom. He brought it before God, and then God showed up and met him in that place. One thing that one commentator pointed out at this point, which I thought was interesting, is the fact of how God meets us as we are in terms that we understand. What, is, what does he mean by this? Here's what he means. With Abraham, how did God show up and meet him? As a traveler, as somebody that's moving, somebody that's passing through. With Jacob here, how does he show up and meet him? 
He shows up and meets him as a wrestler, a fighter, a scrapper, much in the way that Jacob himself is. Later on with Joshua, how, how does he appear to Joshua? He appears to Joshua as a warrior. And so I I think that's a good application for us that sometimes when we're talking about how we see God and how God interacts with us and those kind of things, and we're like, we hear somebody else talk about it. We're like, well, that sounds a little different. Well, maybe God's just meeting them in the way that makes sense to them. Okay. Um, But anyway, I just think that's a, a, a good point for us that God does meet us. First of all, he meets us where we are, but he also meets us kind of on our level where we can understand, which is an awesome thing. But I think an even bigger point out of of what's happening right here is the fact that a lot of times when we're worrying about an earthly situation, it's in that moment is when we have a heavenly encounter. A lot of times when, when our earthly situation brings us to our kind of rock bottom, when we're brought to a low point in our life, is the moment when all of a sudden we are blessed with a heavenly encounter that points us back in the right direction, that gives us hope, that gives us a future. I've seen this to be true in my life. Um, When I first came to faith, when I, I first placed my faith in Jesus, that was at a time when my family had just experienced and I had just experienced the death of my older brother. Um, I had an older brother who was two years older than me. He had a, a genetic bone marrow disorder. And so when I was six, my older brother passed away. And through that time, of course, as a six-year-old, I had a lot of questions. And my mom took that opportunity to explain to me that my brother was in heaven because he had placed his faith in Jesus Christ as his savior and he asked him to forgive him of his sins. And because of that, that's where my brother was and he was okay. So as a six-year-old, I'm like, I want that. That's, where, that's, that's what I want too. There's a little bit after that, there's a little bit more time where, where God brought me to that place of myself of, of realizing that I am a sinner. My problem at that point was I thought, you know, I heard a Sunday school teacher one time say, you know, Jesus is the only one who never sinned. And my thought was, I'm going to be the second. Like, I got this, you know, like I'm the good kid. Um, but no, God brought me to the point of seeing like, no, I am a sinner. I do need a savior. And out of that kind of low point in my earthly life, I was blessed with the heavenly encounter of being able to meet Jesus as my Lord and Savior. My call to come into full-time ministry coincided with a time in my life where I was dealing with my parents divorcing and that falling apart and my whole world being rocked. In the middle of that, that's when God called me into full-time ministry. And so, so personally, yes, I've seen many times where a major moment in my life has happened with God coming out of a major low point in my life based on my earthly situation. Now, I've said before that I think that might be just because I'm that hard-headed and he has to use those levels to get my attention. I don't know. Um, Hopefully, you don't have to go there to hear from the Lord. Um, But for whatever reason, I've seen this to be true, and I see this to be true in Scripture and what we're seeing in Jacob's life right here. It wasn't like, oh, Jacob's just walking along, everything's fine and dandy, so happy, everything's going to be great. And then he gets to wrestle with, with, with God. No, God brings him into this low point. Remember, God's with him before. He just, he just saw the angels there with him saying, hey, God's camp is here. And then he gets worried. He gets stressed out. He's freaking out. He's asking God about this. And then God shows up in that moment and wrestles with him all night. 
And walking away from that no longer is Jacob that doesn't really seem like he's that worried about Esau anymore. Why? He's worried about a fight. What just happened? The biggest fight of his life. And walking into that, he's worried about fighting with his brother. Walking out of it, he now has a dislocated hip. He's less able to fight on his own. He's completely in a place where his only hope, his only anything out of this situation is God. He's brought completely to the end of himself. And that's what so many of us need so much of the time. It's to be brought to the end of ourself so that we can see, hey, my only hope is in God. He's the only place, he's the only one that can take care of me. I know some of you guys are J.I. Packer fans. Um, He has a really good quote relating to this passage that I wanted to share with you this morning. He says this, That night, as Jacob stood alone by the river Jabbok, God met him. There were hours of desperate, agonized conflict, spiritual, and it seemed to Jacob physical also. Jacob had hold of God, and he wanted a blessing and assurance of divine favor and protection in this crisis, but he could not get what he sought. Instead, he grew ever more conscious of his own state, utterly helpless, and without God, utterly hopeless. He felt the full bitterness of his unscrupulous, cynical ways now coming home to roost. He had hitherto been self-reliant, believing himself to be more than a match for anything that might come. But now he felt his complete inability to handle things and knew with blinding, blazing certainty that never again dare he trust himself to look after himself and to carve out his destiny. Never again dare he try to live by his wits. The nature of Jacob's prevailing with God was simply that he held on to God while God weakened him and wrought him, wrought in him the spirit of submission and self-distrust. That he had desired God's blessing so much that he clung to God through all this painful humbling till he came low enough for God to raise him up by speaking peace to him and assuring him that he need not fear about Esau anymore. I thought that was a really good explanation of what we just read. So I'm going to turn this and, and instead of talking about Jacob, let's talk about us. Where are you? Where are you in the story? Maybe you're at the beginning of the story where you've just walked out of the encounter with Laban. You're seeing the angels around you're like, everything's great. Maybe you're at the point of the story where Laban, or I mean, Jacob's just gotten the, the messengers back that said, hey, brother's coming, 400 men with him. Maybe you're at the point of desperation of crying out to God over whatever your situation is. Maybe you're in the moment of trying to figure out all this by yourself. Like, I'm going to put these people over here and these people over here and just hope for the best. Maybe you're in the moment where you're wrestling with God and you're just trying to hang on. 
as he is tearing you down to weaken you to the point of where you know all you have is in him and all your hope is in him. Or maybe you're in the point at the end of the story where you're walking away and you've got a different name. You're someone who has striven with God and man and prevailed. And what do you have to show for it? You have a limp. You have a limp the rest of your life. I don't know this for sure, but, you know, I kind of want to ask him when I get to heaven, but like, I'm pretty sure Jacob walked with that limp with a lot of pride. In the right way, like the right kind of pride, right? I think this was a badge of honor for him from this point forward of, I, I wrestled with God and all my hope is in him. And look, I have the limp to show for it. And, and in fact, that's why it has this weird verse here at the end talking about like the Israelites didn't eat the meat from the sinew of the thigh that's on the hip socket, right? You're like, well, that's, that's weird. Well, put yourself in this society, in this culture after this. You're not really a written culture. Most of your people can't read. And you want to pass on the good things of God and the promises of God and the things that God have done on from generation to generation. What better way to be reminded of this story and of what God has done through your ancestors than for every time as a family that you sacrifice, that, not you sacrifice, but that, that you slaughter an animal in order to eat it. You say, hey, son, we don't eat this part. Why? Because here's what God did. Here's what happened with Jacob when he became Israel. Here's this story. And so every time that they would slaughter an animal, they had that, that visual reminder to pass on from generation to generation that this is what has happened. Here's what God has done. And so it's not like some kind of weird spirituality kind of thing or like weird legalism, whatever. No, this is just the way we're in their culture. They're finding like, hey, here, here's how we can, re- we can tell this story to the next generation. Here's how the truth of our faith gets passed along. And so I'm going to leave us with this point. Sometimes the best place we can be in is knowing that apart from God, we are totally hopeless. Sometimes it's the best place you can be. The road to get there is not fun. But sometimes that is just the best place you can be. Because that's where he meets you and that's where he wrestles with you. That's where you get to grip him, hold on to him and say, you are my only hope. I hope for your sake, you've already been there and you have that. So you don't have to go back there. I hope, unlike me, you're better at learning that lesson and holding on to it to where you don't have to keep going back there but that is a great place for us to be, is to be in that place where we are totally hopeless apart from God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the hope that is found in you. We thank you for the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. 
thank you that as we go through stressful situations, as we go through things that we worry about, the things that, that grip us with, with fear, anxiety, whatever, Lord, I thank you that you are there. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know the peace and the hope that's found in you. For anyone who needs to come to faith in Jesus Christ and be made new. For anyone that needs to have that moment in their life, Lord, I pray that that today will be the day where they say, yes, Lord, I believe in you. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in what he did on the cross. I believe that he rose from the dead. And all my faith and all my hope is in you and nowhere else. Lord, I pray for anyone that needs that, that they'll do that right now. That they'll, they'll reach out to you and ask, Lord, please save me. Please forgive me. Lord, for those of us who do know you as our Lord and Savior, and yet we, we still continue to try to do our life on our own, and we, try to, we worry about our circumstances, our situations, and we forget that, that all our hope is in you, that you have it all under control. In the same way that you had blessed Jacob so abundantly up until this point, and you were still going to protect him moving forward. Lord, help us to remember that in our lives as well. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and all you've done. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel yourself.